Hello everyone and welcome to the Rootkit Podcast. Today we are interviewing a special guest, Kyle Kashuv. Now Kyle is an American conservative activist. He actually survived the 2018 Parkland Massacre and he later gained notoriety in the public eye for his advocating for school safety whilst preserving Second Amendment rights. Now he is the subject of great controversy, but perhaps for reasons that are somewhat misunderstood and or willfully misinterpreted. In this episode, we discuss the current nature of politics and culture, as well as delve into his experience of the Stoneman Douglas tragedy. Let me tell you, this young man has an extremely sharp and adept mind, and it was so much fun to have him on. If you enjoy this podcast, we would greatly appreciate your support by rating us five stars on Apple Podcasts, or by visiting us at anchor.fm slash the rootkit podcast. So without further ado, welcome to the rootkit. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Rootkit Podcast. As you all know, we've got a very special guest today, Kyle Kashuv. Kyle, how are you doing today? Good, man. Thank you guys for having me on. Yeah, of course. Thanks for coming on. You know, it's kind of uh, crazy circumstances just aligned. Um, you know, I didn't even think that you were going to respond, so this is pretty cool that you're actually sitting down mm-hmm. and doing this interview with us. So, really appreciate it. Of course. Um, and so, our first kind of question here is, like, you know, you're in D.C. right now. You're way closer to the action than any of us, like... What's kind of your assessment of our current political climate and what do you think of the outgoing and incoming administrations? Uh, it's a good question. I'm not a fan of the incoming administration. I think that's pretty, pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah. um, I think something that's, I mean, like we can always talk about like the policies are going to be implemented, but I think the interesting thing that's happening right now is we're kind of out of honeymoons, honeymoon phase with uh media right now where right now they're mm-hmm. happy and they're enjoying and they won and they kind of dragged this old man across the finish line which is what they <laughs> yeah. did nobody really right. looks at joe biden and they're like this man deserved it right they're like this <laughs> man had his corpse like half dead and we dragged him across the parking lot and then we we crossed him to the finish line like that's what happened oh, yeah. um the interesting thing i think that's gonna happen with the media is I think the revenue is about to drop hard, right? Because all their dollars were really resistance money. CNN's losing like losing viewership. They had to pull their contracts with. Uh, they're no longer running at every airport you would always be in. There's always CNN playing, so that's mm-hmm. no longer a thing. So maybe there's some good news for this year, but for yeah. the most part, um, the interesting thing I think that's going to happen is we're going to see massive layoffs with journalists. Um, and they're not going to know what to cover, right? Because for the last mm. four years, it's been so easy in yeah. that they've only covered Trump, right? And the right's mm. on this too. The right has always been like, for, for the most part, it's always been like some pro-Trump and Fox has been has been fair, I think, about this. They have Chris Wallace mm. and they've got Tucker. So like they've got, you know, they're, they're, they're fair at the end. Um, but the left has been just like anti-Trump, anti-Trump. And these people, all they know to write about is, is Trump and how mm-hmm. bad Trump is. So I think we're going to see is that they're going to need to find a new villain to fill the void. Now, the question mm-hmm. is how much longer they can like keep sticking with Trump as the villain or they're going to find someone new. I think what's mm-hmm. going to end up happening is they're going to find – they're basically going to have anyone who steps out of the lockstep of the establishment are oh, yeah. going to attack. And it's going to be really interesting to see, for example, coronavirus doesn't really sell views mm-hmm. anymore, right? The first, mm-hmm. and you can kind of see this by 
YouTube viewership for videos because like that is the natural sort of like progression of where viewers go, right? In the first week or so, everyone was making a video about coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Everyone. People got tired of it. People got tired of seeing coronavirus news all the time and they just started watching normal content again. That's been the last four years with Trump and people are tired of it. Yeah, no, you're definitely right. Um, and in terms of like the media and stuff, like what do you think about like, you know, um, the Daily Wire, like going out and actually doing some investigative journalists? Do you think that that will actually kind of create, um, you know, maybe a little bit like balance out the kind of media that we saw the past four years? Or like, do you have any hopes for that? I have, a, I mean, I so I don't think conservative media will always, here's the issue. Um, conservative media, you know, caters to conservatives. The goal is to get the average American mm-hmm. to see it. And let's say like mm-hmm. most Americans don't watch the news, but when they do, it's ABC, NBC, right? Um, what we've learned is essentially, and this has been known for a while, if the media doesn't show it, it didn't happen, right? Like if the media mm-hmm. just doesn't discuss the Hunter Biden story, it's just like it just didn't exist, right? right? And we're going to see this interesting situation where all of a sudden the media right now is in this dynamic where they have to figure out if how much they want to defend Joe Biden and then how much they want to use their power, which is, you know, critiquing him to get what they want done. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to see this part where, like, all of a sudden Politico is going to run, like, a criticism slightly of Joe Biden. And then they're going to get attacked by CNN and MSNBC to be like, you want Trump again? <laughs> so it's going to be it's going to yeah. be an interesting four years. Mm-hmm. But um, journalists are, are they're going to have four years of nap time, essentially. Oh, yeah. And I mean, they, it's, you know, Ben Shapiro was kind of talking about it on one of his podcasts. He was like, you know, they're all patting themselves on the back like they did such a good job. I they mean, they did do office. they did do a great mm-hmm. job, did, though. Yeah. Like, essentially, yeah. they did a phenomenal job of dragging this guy who literally gave maybe one speech a week and he fumbled it. Right. And he just like had so many gaffes and so many weird plots. And his kid is corrupt as hell. And everyone was attacking him and they made mm-hmm. him president. They did, they did a great job. So I'm curious then, is there anything that you are actually like hopeful for in this coming administration? Is there anything like particular that you see yourself here in the next couple of years like working towards that you are excited, excited about, whether that's policy or cultural or anything otherwise? So, I mean, I hope Joe Biden does a good job. I mean, I hope. Mm-hmm. I don't think like I think, you know, I, I want him to do a good job, but I don't think that's going to mm-hmm. happen. I don't. I think he's putting in some crazy. Everyone keeps on calling him a radical. There was this article I saw right now where like the right was hitting Joe Biden as radical, and the left was saying he's not radical yeah. enough. And they're both kind of right, right? The right mm-hmm. is correct that Joe Biden is going to be radical culturally, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and the left is mad that Joe Biden isn't going to be radical economically. He's not radical enough on economics, which is true. I mean, Joe Biden is going to be basically a multinational corporate um, president. That's what he's going to be doing. He's going to be helping big tech. He's going to be helping Silicon Valley. He's going to be helping you know military contractors. I think. Um, I don't think we're going to see any change, like big changes. I think for billionaires economically, mm-hmm. I think we're going to see some economic changes potentially for the middle class with with you know with taxes. Mm-hmm. But for the large part, what's going to happen is Joe Biden is going to throw some bones to the to the progressive mm-hmm. left culturally. We're going to see some. We saw this with the first mm-hmm. day. Um, with you know the bathroom executive order um, and we're going to see that as well with, with schools with critical race theory uh, but economically things are back baby they're back to the establishment that's it oh yeah 
Yep, that's a it's a pretty pretty fair assessment. I what mean, are your guys' political uh, philosophies? Yeah, so we're both. Or I'm kind of like Christian conservative, okay. although I kind of borderline on kind of like libertarian anarchist. Like anything that's establishment, like I pretty much hate all establishment. You know, Republicans, Democrats, anything like that. Now, are you um, populist in that sense, or are you sort of libertarian? Because both sides, I think, that, hate the establishment. Yeah, you're right, but I'm definitely more of a yeah. more of a libertarian okay. in that respect. So, and yeah. I, I'm you? pretty similar, um, but I'm, I'm definitely much more. I, I my focus has always been on giving people a choice, and so especially then since I'm in okay. a lot to do with counseling and dealing with the hearts of people, is that I'm very focused on the individual being able to have the opportunity to claim responsibility. So anything that helps the individual yeah. on a on a on a low level, whether that's if there's policies that help that, I mean, it's, those are the things that are really my concern. I just want to be able to have a, a way in the world that allows individuals to be able to claim their their own actions. Are you specialized in a certain field like young like men? Um, so I'm getting specialized in um, young kids that are with, again, more or less with uh, with trauma. And so like whether that has to do with broken families. So it'd be like family, family therapy, right. but also with young kids that have, um, just, just have had lives that, um, again, they didn't have a whole lot. And so broken families and things like that. So that's a lot of it has to do with kind of rebuilding healthy visions for young kids. Okay. How do you, I mean, if you guys want to stick to topics of politics, that's fine. Um, but how do you go about, so let's say for example, how do you go about building up a kid who's got two divorced parents and he feels like they both don't mm-hmm. love him? Is first consistency consistency on being there for and so okay. for for me how I got integrated into what if the parents actually do hate the kid? Yeah, is what I'm saying. This isn't yeah. about me, by the way. No, I'm, no, just, I'm right. asking. It might, it's yeah. really specific. Yeah, no, like so. again for people that that honestly is almost like discarding their kids is that they have to have someone. Okay who's there at first for like, for an example, for me being a big brother is that I can't take on all the roles, but there needs to be people that come alongside them. And that's again, like the foster care system or people that are mentors to these young kids in their daily lives that truly are there consistently and start building the foundations of again, genuine love filled relationships that these kids never had at home. And so it's kind of like from ground one building with the puzzle pieces um, on the foundations of, again, respect with, um, again, knowing how like the world works with laws, with also with, uh, again, treating your neighbor with love and not seeing them as an obstacle to get what you need kind of a thing. And so it's kind of helping build those foundations up. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. In fact, uh, one of the big inspirations for this podcast and for us was kind of the culmination of there's this guy, Bob Hamp, um, down at Grapevine, and he's got this uh, Foundations of Freedom series. And so this is actually like one of the things that we we're going to start getting in and talking to you about um, a little bit more in depth here in just a minute was actually like, you know, your experience uh, specifically with Parkland sure. and everything. Um, but just to kind of like as a brief overview, we'll get more into it here in just a minute. But, um, you know, most people, um, whenever, whenever they're born, all they know is their experience and their circumstances in life. And that's something that they don't have you know control over. They usually allow these things to. Um, influence their thoughts, feelings, and behaviors after that, which then influences their beliefs about themselves and therefore their identity. 
Whereas we kind of start with the identity and then work the way down so that, you know, your identity is actually what then changes, you know, your beliefs and then your thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and then ultimately that changes your circumstances. So you can't start with the circumstances. You have to start with something, you know, like a core, like an origin or a root, if you will. Right. That makes sense. I agree. So, um, so yeah, let's actually go ahead and start talking about that. Um, we wanted to, you know, discuss, um, kind of your experience with um, the Parkland massacre, which you bore witness to, right. um, sure. having it been almost three years removed, what kind of effect did this event have on you, and how did you choose to uh, how did you choose to deal with it? Um, it's a good question, man. I'll start first because I think it's a little bit easier to distill the impact it had on the community and the lasting impacts that mm. people really mm-hmm. don't know about because. You don't see a lot of media coverage about Parkland right now. They've right. kind of moved on. Mm-hmm. So everyone knows, I think, the story of the shooting. Um, a former student walked into school, started firing, killed 14 kids and three teachers. And then um, after it happened, a lot of kids spoke out. And they spoke out for more gun control, which I think is the natural reaction mm-hmm to something like that. I think it's an emotional reaction. I don't think it's it's mm-hmm. logically correct. But I do understand the kids who, you know, saw that and were like, we need to ban the guns. I get it. It's an emotional, visceral reaction. Mm-hmm. And you can't really blame them for that. Mm-hmm. Now, when that happened, I took a step back and I was a little bit more logical. And I said, okay, this is a problem. This is a problem that's been happening way too often how do we stop it and how do we stop it in a way that has long-lasting impacts and that goes you know and solves this for generations to come okay is the gun the problem the answer is no right and there's more complexity than just like okay we'll just ban the guns um, because essentially that's, that's not really possible and it doesn't really solve, and I'm getting a little mm-hmm. complex here, so I'll throw some stats out. And this gets a little convoluted because the stats that other people use are not really accurate, but mm-hmm. I came in and said, how do we stop this long-term? Okay, I got to rewind a little bit and go. The reason why the Parkland shooting happened was because every single level of government failed. People don't know this. People don't know that the shooter, there were 46 reports to the Broward Sheriff's Office about him. People don't know that there were two tips of the FBI that they knew about and disregarded. People don't know that there were boxes on boxes on boxes in the school that later got removed and and hidden. And there's a lot of corruption to cover up about this kid. And people don't know that the school resource officer and, and basically said, I think it was, it was one of the officers there, that if anyone was going to do the shooting, it was going to be this mm. kid. Um, now, there's a, there's a certain law in Florida where I believe if you are mentally institutionalized and deemed mentally ill, you can't purchase a weapon. Now, here's mm. what gets interesting. Um the shooter had 46 reports to, to, you know, two tips of the FBI. People don't actually know also that in the school, um, he was kicked out. 
he you know was violent he was threatening people and he got removed and one second sorry he um sorry I lost my That's right. off there so you're good no, you're good basically what happened was had the school reported this okay had the sheriff's office reported this had the FBI reported this had his health records actually gone through, he wouldn't have been able to purchase a gun. So people say we need stricter background checks. Well, we have everything in place, essentially, right? If you're mentally ill, you can't purchase a gun. If you're a domestic abuser, you can't purchase a gun. We have that in our place for a reason. So had the state done their job, had they followed through, had the school followed through, had the police followed through, had the FBI followed through, this essentially was the most preventable school shooting. Okay, so we put all that aside, which is which is a very big deal. Um, and then also there's a school board. So the school board knew about this kid. Um, the school board implemented a policy that that allowed students repeat offenses and threats before they got, you know, um, got their record slapped. And the reason why the police didn't do anything, you'd say, well, Kyle, the, it's their job, right? It's their job. If they knew this kid was a threat, why don't they do anything? Well, Something happened at Douglas, and a lot of schools do this too. There are two ways to reduce crime, okay? One, to police and, you know, be active and be vigilant um, and institute good policies and, you know, uplift the community. And the second is to just not report it and not record it. So you can synthetically reduce the crime on numbers, but the crime doesn't go down. Now, why does that matter? For every school that has, I think, a student – and I think specifically one student who has, I think, the mental issues or I think the kind of just um, criminal behavior or just um, the behavior of someone who's just kind of like causing trouble and the school keeps them, they get a lot of money. So they're incentivized not to boot him in, in these high schools um, to keep that money. So... It took them a while, but they finally, you know, removed him. Um, the school never recorded any of these issues because if they record this, the rating mm-hmm. goes down. If they record the fights, the school rating goes down. Douglas is a very good rated school. They can't lose that, right? right. Um, so what happened? So basically, um, a lot of this comes down to the school board, the superintendent, the sheriff's office, the FBI, but people don't know the story because it's not glamorous. Like this is mm-hmm. truly the problem is localities and the state mm-hmm. not doing their job. Okay. Yeah, of course. So here comes gun control. A lot of people in my school were pushing for gun control as a solution. Now, I took a step back and I said, well, let's look at this. Let's just let's look at all the numbers. Let's actually see how we can fix this because we have a special, we have a, like horrific opportunity in time to actually fix this. Like, this is our one chance for a while to get something mm-hmm. done. Okay. There are 33,000 gun deaths each year in America. Two-thirds of those are suicides. Okay. Um, 3% of all gun deaths um, are deaths with rifles. The issue is two-thirds of those are also suicides. So, 1%. Sorry, that's not right. So, there are 3% of all, of all gun deaths are with rifles. But it turns out that like only 1% of all gun deaths are murders with a rifle, right? Mm-hmm. There's a difference between murders and homicides. Mm-hmm. Homicides sometimes are rightful killings. Murders are wrongful killings. Self-defense, right. a lot of instances of that. Um, 
Another number that's thrown out, the CDC, they rule that there are between 500,000 to 2 million defensive gun usages each year. So is the rifle actually the problem in America? The answer is really no. Right. Well, you could say, but Kyle, school shootings, a lot of times done with a rifle. That's not really true. A lot of times it's pistols. Um mm-hmm. The, the thing biggest is, one that I can remember is like Virginia Tech. Right. I think it was 22, and it, 22 people killed, and yeah. it was with a handgun. Right. So. so the question is, we're actually trying to solve this problem. If we really want to solve this problem, which is what I mm-hmm. set out to do, is where's the core of the issue? How do we prevent this? And the prevention is putting aside the repercussions of banning a rifle, constitutionality, and what it would do for everyday Americans, which I think is something that I would say a lot, putting that aside. Does banning rifles solve anything? The answer is no. Very clearly do the same thing Mm -hmm. with a pistol. What's the solution? Okay. The solution is forcing state governments and schools to actually fill in the records of these students and of these people so they can't purchase a weapon. That's one thing. That was fixed next. Forcing agencies to actually put in the records in the National Gun Background Check Program. So... Legally, you won't be able to buy it because if you don't fill in these records, the system doesn't work. If you don't fill in people, if you don't report um, people doing you know, illegal activity or things that would bar them from purchasing a weapon, what's the point? The second thing is actually we said, okay, look, there's always going to be malevolence out there. There's always going to be evil out there. There's always going to be people seeking to do harm. Mm-hmm. Okay. 99%. Of, of mass shootings occur in gun-free zones. Like, well, why is that? Let's think about that. Because when you have a sign, why do people have signs outside their their, door, their houses that say protected by, you know, X, Y, Z, there's a gun owner in there. Why do people have these signs? Because it's it's a defense, right? It's people saying, hey, listen, why do people why do people post signs with that this house is dogs? A lot of, a lot of times you see that, at least in Florida, where so criminals know that there's going to be some trouble when you get in. Now, if you post a sign that says there are no dogs in this house, right, there's a goldfish, that's it, like, and we don't own guns, people are a lot more likely to go inside, and they know that no one will be able to stop them. Yeah. Okay. So the first thing that I said, let's arm and protect our schools. So for the same reason that courthouses are protected by guns and Congress is protected by guns and our politicians are protected by guns, there's a reason for that. It makes the place safer. Okay, mm-hmm. let's do that for schools. And now I is- realize we get into budgetary issues, and I, mm-hmm. and I get that. But the solution really is to harden the exterior and have school resource officers who are willing and police officers who will do their job. And then people mm-hmm. say, well, Kyle, there was a school resource officer at Douglas, and he didn't do anything. And, like, and you're right. And you're right. Um, that was because the Scott Israel, Sheriff Scott Israel, who was the previous sheriff, change the law to shall go in to may that's why people were pissed with him because and rightfully so he didn't do a good job with the reports they knew this kid was an issue and he changed the wording that allowed for the school resource officer to not go in and now he's getting an eighty thousand dollar pension so those are the foundational kind of beliefs and experiences i went through um at least intellectually that got me to the belief that the solution to school shootings is arming the exterior, having Mm. people ready to defend the school, um, and making sure that 
the records are actually inputted into the NICS background check firearm system. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, how would you go about like ensuring that there's act- like they're actually competent? Because I know that you know we kind of have the same sort of trouble um, at my high school. Um, sure. The high school that I went to wasn't like well, it it was not particularly well run, well run or anything. And so, you know, one of the things that I definitely realize is how incredibly incompetent you know people are at every level of both state and local and everything so what would be your solution to that sort of thing um good question what do you mean in what regard as in like the police officer protecting or like at like at all levels like would there be incentivization or would there be like you know people to go in and examine what's going on or yeah i forgot to add the other bill that i passed and met with like nancy pelosi and chuck schumer and the president trump Mm -hmm. and mike pence and like cory booker and all these people um was the Stop School Violence Act, which essentially was $2 billion for school safety. Um, a lot of people, a lot of the kids in the March for Our Lives group didn't like it because it didn't have the word gun. And I said, that's exactly why it passed. It wasn't anti-gun. It wasn't, it wasn't pro-gun. Mm-hmm. The gun debate isn't moving left or right. Mm-hmm. It's not. I said, let's be adults. Let's get something done. And then we can talk about guns <laughs> after, but let's get something done, which is what we did. It was two billion dollars for school for mm. school safety, really. Yeah. Um, better reporting systems to the FBI, better school systems, um, some mental health professionals, and a lot, a lot of um, money for for hardening schools mm. Um, mm. and development for that. And the thing is, states can use the money. There's some restrictions. States can use the money for whatever they want. Now, if Alabama wants to go ahead and get metal detectors and harden the exterior and make sure that, you know, smoke alarms are fixed and make sure that, you know, there's a single point entry and a big fence. They can. Now, if New York wants to go about and say, Hey, we want a few more mental health professionals. We want a better reporting system. Go ahead and do it. Right. So it allows the States to do what they want. And that's why the bill passed. Um, Mm -hmm. So back to your question of how do we make sure that, government officials do a good job like they're supposed to and the answer is there's not much we can do other than really this is cliche but being active and voting like there's not much else you Mm -hmm. can really do because a friend was telling me this this yesterday um and i'm gonna butcher this but when the federal government instituted the sort of like social welfare safety programs on a federal level what we saw were a massive drop in church attending and something called bowling clubs where um, the social fabric of the local community fell apart. People no longer needed their community to survive. And we saw basically the dissent and detachment of local communities since then. People don't feel connected to their community. Mm. Um, and that's what happened. No. And, uh, so local communities, yeah. essentially, nobody cares about them. Anymore. Yeah, that, nobody cares. Right. Um, we tried to remove a few school board members. We did a terrible job after the Parkland shooting. We only managed to flip one of them because just people can't don't care about local. People don't care to vote, um, mm-hmm. and it's sad. But that's something we experience where it's like even with the most amount of pressure to change things, people hmm. really don't care. So I'm curious then, yeah. even like with the circumstances that when dealing originally, like even like with how your kids reacted at your school, I'm curious and like 
like what's sure. why do you think it's so easy to focus on the external like the circumstances of what we think and see the problem is instead of seeing more of the heart again even just i love hearing your story and even hearing your 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 heart behind even like how you saw it even like your your thought process of moving through the problem why do you think it's so hard to get to that point for almost anybody in that type of situation be able to see like the root problems of that i think you have to take a step back from all the all the basically emotions and tensions around us and just look at it Mm -hmm. just look at it um and it's tough for people to do that and you know uh people already have their previous beliefs and it nudges them towards that Mm. direction Mm. and it's for example president trump got banned on twitter and you say, oh, that happened last week. Not a big deal. And then you step Wait back and you're like, second. whoa, like, holy <laughs> yeah. shit. Like, oh, yeah. put that into words. The sitting president of the most powerful nation in the world no longer can voice his opinion. And now he's no longer president. Um, mm-hmm. That's insane. But, but really, that's insane that tech companies have the power to silence the president, the duly elected president. And this is, you know two weeks ago so this is back when he was president and no longer give him a voice that's Mm -hmm. terrifying and the people cheering this on don't realize the gates of hell that have been opened Mm -hmm. they don't realize that the corporation censoring aren't in your best interest they're in their best interest and if you step out of alignment with this sort of this neoliberal corporatist um thought you're out Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah it was kind of funny we were actually having a discussion with one of our more left-leaning friends and even he was kind of terrified you know of this is like just the precedent that it sends is we're talking about like you know the ayatollah of iran you know basically saying death to jews on twitter yeah the thing with that is just like like, i get the hypocrisy and i agree with it but there's this interesting thing where people on the left actually, for example, when Joe Biden signs the mask mask mandate, you have to wear a mask mm-hmm. on federal property, and then he goes out and doesn't wear a mask. It's a sign of power. It's a sign of like, we're better than you. Look at us. Mm-hmm. Look at us. Essentially, it's a, it's, a, it's a sign of power. And showing the hypocrisy gets likes, gets retweets, and I agree with it, but we need to start to realize that's the point. The point is you have different rules than I do because I am more important. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. That in and of itself feels like it's even like the foundations of some of the things that are falling apart, even at our institutions. I think it's an interesting way of, again, people that are in power almost don't have to follow their own rules in that regard. Exactly, because that's the sign of the powerful, that you can basically disregard your own rules mm-hmm. and flout mm-hmm. that and still you know, be in power, right? Where Bill de Blasio bans um, you know, people going to the gym, and then he goes to the gym because he's better than you peasants, right? For example, and all these mayors, San Francisco mayor who banned you know, dining, goes out and does that the day of. You've got Gavin Newsom banning indoor dining. And then um, 
goes and spends $50,000 at a French winery. So there are two ways to look at this, which is one, these politicians don't think the situation with coronavirus is as bad as they say, right? Um, or that could be it. And it could also be that um, the rules just don't apply to them and that they just don't really care about it. They think the rules might be bullshit. Um, or they just want to do what they want to do. I think it's just a live their life. Of, a little bit of all three, right. that's for sure. And this is actually something that, um, you know, it it's actually kind of like the genius. Like if you go and read um, like the Bolsheviks and, you know, the original Marxists and everything, you know, they talk about how to, you know, strategically, like from the schools to, um, you know, to the institutions, to science and manipulating data and to, you know, cultivating culture and redefining truth in their image. You know, it's exploiting this thing that I know that you're probably pretty close with like Jordan Peterson and everything, but it's actually exploiting these, you know, things and it's actually demoralizing them. And, you know, I, I don't know if like if most people are just oblivious to it or if they see it, they just choose to ignore it. Like, What do you think? Could you could you could you condense that a little bit? Do you mean it's sort of like people who aren't outraged by the sort of just like power imbalance of our politicians? Yeah. Yeah, I think it comes down to, um, I'll I'll do specifically. I think Democrat blue mm-hmm. areas. I think there's an undiscussed aspect of mask wearing that comes down to this: um, people who are really into wearing their mask, which I agree with. Right, if I go to you know a private area, I'll wear a mask. If I'm outside, like I'm not going to. But the people who are really into and really just wear a mask in their car and yell at people who don't wear a mask in their own car is they feel like heroes. They feel this sense of altruism like they're saving America. Mm -hmm. And when they're locked down and when they're suffering, I think Democrats and I think also the American people like or will just do what they're told for the most part in that – when you're at home suffering, and this is for like the you kind of like the rich elites who can do this and not have to worry about working or their job, or they can you know work from home, they feel good. They feel good that like they're saving America by you know not taking their dog out for a walk. Makes them feel good. Um, and two things: one, when let's say their politicians violate their own lockdown rules, like Gavin Newsom, like I don't think it's a crazy idea to have him that you should be demanded to resign two things one uh, people don't really see that information very few people see that information um and the second is that even if they're slightly outraged they're not going to mobilize to get him removed there's this apathy and i think that we are become so desensitized to outrageous news and instances that um we no longer actually care mm. for the most part. Mm-hmm. I mean, you even just talking about that on a political scheme, you like even like dealing with young children or even like what we're seeing in like young kids growing up is that part of the things mm-hmm. that is creating all this chaos in young kids' lives is that they are being sensitized all the time by entertainment and these different things, not bad things. And even like with the way that we've like as us adults, as we're seeing the news, we get sensitized and emotionized by a, a bunch of these 
uh, just all the stories that we're seeing. But like the same thing for young kids is that they're having all these emotions of like, what is entertainment? And, but then the, the actual instances of life that actually need to be attended to come along. And they're like, it doesn't give, it, there's, it's not a big deal. It doesn't give me the rush or it, like the emotions are so out of set that they see the actual issues of life or like the things that come up in the world around them. And they're like, it's actually really not that big of a deal because I have my comforts at home. I can play games and we're starting to see, and we're starting to see, we're starting to see like, I have, if I can be flat out entertained and be okay with that. And I can do that with my friends and it's, we're starting to see that more and more where like being fully sensitized all the time, stimulus, um, again, over and over that it's, right. it's numbing the actual issues of life that are actually going on around them. Interesting. So mm-hmm. the ability to live in this sort of um, alternate reality closed mm-hmm. off um, environment that just kind of, you know, it's sort of like something similar in the matrix where it's like, okay, Listen, I don't know the names. I watch. <laughs> I don't know all the references, but it reminds me of this, and this is used a lot. It's like, okay, well, you can now take the red pill and continue with your journey of the real world, or you can go back to being trapped and you take the blue pill of being into a cell. But everything you get is enjoyable, and it's like you're living a great life. Which mm-hmm. one would you take? Um, it's a great question because. Um, if you can just be mundanely entertained and fed for the short term, it's like, yeah, I'll take that. Um, what ends up happening is we have delayed. So what we've done is we have just the goal should be delaying, you know, gratification for long term success. Mm-hmm. And we flip that. We say, forget about long term. I want to scroll on TikTok now. Okay. What's going to happen? Um, 25% of millennials say they don't have a single friend, right? Depression rates, anxiety rates are skyrocketing. Suicide rates are skyrocketing, specifically in the lockdowns. Mm -hmm. Um, Attention spans are going down. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing, I think, dude, it's Mm going to be tough being a parent 10 years from now. For sure. Because the question really is, Okay, do you homeschool your kids or not? Do you send them to public school? Okay, let's say you send them to public school. Do you give them a cell phone? When? All their kids use it, like nine-year-olds. I got a phone when I was 16, 17, 15. I don't know. It was like 10th grade. 10th grade, I got a phone. Um, And it was always like, uh, hold up. What happens if you give your kid a phone now? You have unfettered, you know, internet access. The average age where someone sees porn mm-hmm. is 11. 11. That's insane. Um, there's this world around us that is rapidly increasing. And we're seeing something interesting where young kids are exposed to adulthood, yet only treated as adults later in life. For, like, the extension of mm-hmm. when you become a, an adult is, is longer and longer, yet younger kids are being exposed to the net, the evils of mm-hmm. adulthood via mm-hmm. the internet. So how do you go about actually raising a child that's good, that will succeed in the real world? Um, and you've got these these two pathways and you have to balance them. And sometimes you might not even be able to. It's like, okay, let's just go with the phone. 
let's say you homeschool your kids. Okay, you want them to have friends. You, you know, have them be friends with other homeschool kids, and it's great. You've got like a pot of 10 kids. What happens when they want to go to college? Okay, well, let's say they go to Hillsdale and they get a phone on their first day of college. Okay, mm-hmm. will they know how to um, interact in this new digital world? Right, where you've got the ability of like you want your kid to be successful and to be logical and to be a hard worker and all these things, but you also want them to be adept to modern society, be able to, to, to succeed. Um, and, and a lot of this comes down to how much, and I think you'd agree with this, Tate, that childhood success essentially hinges on how involved the parents are in the kid's mm-hmm. life. Yeah, you're absolutely um, right. We see... I actually have a quote here okay. um, I think you'll find particularly interesting. In fact, I guess this is what you could say. A couple of years ago, um, in my history class, I decided to do um, a research project on the Bolshevik Revolution, and I've literally just been studying it, like the ins and outs of it ever since, but particularly with children, because if you look at Hitler, you look at Mao, you look at anybody, there are, they're completely focused on the upbringing of children. Yep. So here's the quote. Children educated in pioneer groups must in the future be, and already are, innovative cells in the family life also. Children, enthusiasts, activists, gripped by collective feelings, carry into musty life, musty family life, new principles of revolutionary ideology, higher cultural standards, hygienic literacy, which you should read like gulags or like, you know, reporting your parents if they're not doing like what the state, you know, they're building loyalty to the state. That's a, that's a great term, hygienic literacy. Yeah. And it says, uh, adults are unknowingly saturated by this constantly penetrating healthful content and themselves begin to be re-educated. This is from Aaron Zalkind, um, and it's an excerpt from the pioneer movement as a form of culture work among the proletariat. I think we're seeing that right now. Oh, absolutely. I think we're seeing, and not even the instances of like kids recording and reporting their parents who stormed the Capitol building. I mean, that's an externality, and that's something mm-hmm. inter- that's. Mm-hmm. But I think for the most part, we're seeing children and this has always been slightly the case but it hasn't been used for clout we're seeing children you know trash their parents as um basically not in line with the modern day thought and trashing them online for for likes and retweets Mm -hmm. we're seeing this a lot um and i think that goes to show like when young people for the most part, start doing that, we're descending into a very, very... So, for example, I will never trash... My parents have been phenomenal. I would never, ever think about trashing my parents. Never. Especially not for Twitter likes. I keep that very personal. I keep that very private. I don't... Like, the idea to trash on the person who has been feeding you for 18 years... For some likes on Twitter is mm-hmm. astounding to me. It's it's mm-hmm. shameful. Um, mm-hmm. But we're seeing that all the time. And it's no longer just like, oh, just like, oh, my mom doesn't do this. It's, it's full-blown just like. Um, I think we're seeing this with um, – we're seeing this right now and with – okay, for example, when politicians – have kids sometimes uh, children will go out and when they really realize they can get clout off it they'll complain or they'll blow up a story 
about their parents mm-hmm. and then the media will turn to the kid to get back at the parent they don't like and the kid gets all this attention suddenly but what these kids don't realize is their attention is actually um you know connected and only there because of the parent they're ba- it's basically this parasitic clout relationship where you're only you know relevant because people synthetically want to use that cr- to critique your parent mm. right yeah and uh you know it and it's especially like common with you know kind of like our age i'm 20 you're 19 like anywhere from like you know 16 to like 25 like the millennial to the late end of like gen z this is particularly something that is interesting and i think it has something to do with you know not only what we're taught in the schools but also you know whenever we're in the um universities you know it's filled with like you know critical theory and you know just all of these very postmodern you know uh identity like filled with identity politics and everything else in which you know you're no longer are basing your experience on your identities and your beliefs but instead taking parts of your circumstances and tangible parts about what you experience like you know your race and your gender and your skin color and everything else and actually using that as your identity instead of figuring out an identity to you know try to create and try to so there are two really cool things what you said i think you're spot on there's two things Mm -hmm. there's this new article that came out about facial recognition um Mm -hmm. and that it's actually that ai can determine your political affiliation orientation just by a snapshot of your photo 71 percent of the time they get it right so that's (laughs) wild um so the idea it's like i think we should go go by everyone individually and look at everyone individually but it's wild that a computer computer can look at our faces and be like conservative liberal conservative liberal um you know it's pretty funny um bumble actually released a study and apparently the most attractive people on their apps are all conservative so here's the reason why <laughs> here's the reason why and this isn't for me this is a friend of mine rob henderson who is at cambridge right now he was at yale before and he studies this um women you know at the end of the day subliminally want traits that conservative men exhibit now whether they say conservative or not um they want someone who's more masculine mm-hmm. um and that tends to be and however you want to you know end up by going about it but uh, what they did it was like there was a study that was like two piles of cards and women would go right or left and it ended up being um on the most part women rated men in the conservative pile more more so there's this interesting dynamic where women um for the most part liberal women um say they want liberal men but the characteristics they want aren't as evident and elevated um as in conservative men which is something really interesting and like to get into like tinder sort of statistics which which really interests me so i think you guys are familiar with the preto distribution and it's something we're like there's this Bible quote, and I'm butchering, <laughs> yeah. butchering it. But to those who have everything, more will be given. To those who have nothing, everything will be taken. Um, and we see that replicated in Tinder, where the top 20% of men match with the top 80% of women. And then the bottom 80% of men match with the bottom 20% of women. We also see that in OnlyFans, which is something where like a small subset of creators make an extraordinary amount of money. You have to be like in the top zero point one percent. Yeah, 
Um, you see them posted on their like Twitter and everything, like, oh, I'm in the top. Right. So if people, you can like, you can somewhat figure out because yeah. if you're in top three percent, you're making like seven hundred fifty a month. That's mm-hmm. not a lot. You have to really be in the upper echelons, and it's the same thing, the same way in capitalism, like a very few percent, like an extraordinary amount of money, and that's how it's replicated. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is just like nature. This isn't even like you know. It's not even necessarily anything that you can particularly ma- manipulate. Now you can right. try to embody, you know, these certain things, and you will, you know, you can be lucky. But there are laws of nature that you can't really violate, which is one of the reasons why, you know, this like Marxism and everything else does not work. It's because it violates the laws of nature. It violates, you know, people's humanity. So. I think you mentioned that there are certain things that I that you can't uh, elevate and get better at. I think you're right for the most part. I think though that there are like there are ways you can actually uh, get better. And it's yeah, that yeah. there's, I, I think you guys are familiar with, with mm-hmm. MGTOW. It's like men going their own way. It's like, I'm not getting mm-hmm. married. And it's like in some part, and Jordan Peterson talked about this where he was like, I actually, he called, you know, he uh, shat on, on this community and he said he was wrong and he apologized later. I'm not part of this community. I think they're wrong about a lot, but they make a correct point in that yeah, the, the, the court system is inherently against men. Um, mm-hmm. Divorce courts. And it's not fair. Custody and alimony and all these courts. Um, you don't get, you get to see your kid like once every two weeks. It's not fair. And the question is, do you pull out and like just stop playing the game entirely? Do you move to a mountainside mm-hmm. in South Dakota and just shut out the world? Um, okay, well, you're not going to be happy. Right? right, it's like yeah. men are just like I'm not gonna try, I'm not gonna work out. It's like, well, why mm-hmm. don't you give it a shot? Why don't you work out? Why don't yeah. you get better? And that's again, the situation isn't fair currently, mm-hmm. but um, it's better t- to at least mm-hmm. try. And I no, think you're right. It's like this so- idea of embracing the struggle and you know actually embracing the process and trusting you know the process, even if you don't see the tangible results immediately. It's actually doing the things and the principles in place to actually kind of you know, create the results that you want to eventually get and sticking with it and being consistent and everything else. I get you. I think, I think that's right. Um, an interesting stat is the people who are really into stoicism though, the most are actually the most depressed. And once they do better, they stop practicing stoicism. So that's like an interesting thing right there. So the people who, yeah, I saw that I was a little, I was like, that's interesting. Um, but yeah, I think the question is like, what do you want to do? Uh, do you want to suffer all day? You can. And you can just, you know, wallow in self-pity and cry and tweet about how much the world hates you. Like, <laughs> like you could, you could sort of like be an incel and hate and rage against the world. Okay. Um, or you could give it a shot and work out and try to be better. And I think that's what Jordan Peterson touched at. He was like, yo, your life sucks. It yeah. sucks, dude. And listen, buddy, you're not that good looking. You're not doing well, but mm-hmm. you can. And it all rests on your soul. Like, it all rests on you. You guys can do better. You just have mm-hmm. to get at it. Right. Um, and I think that voice, for the large part, has been taken away and is not there for yeah. men anymore. Now, Jordan Peterson's coming back. But there are two, I think, men's suicide clinics or mental health clinics, whatever you want to say, in America. There are 2,000 women clinics. That's great. There's no institutional help for men in our current system. Men are being left by the wayside. They don't know the rules for engagement. The rules for engagement are constantly changing in society. They don't want to play. 
And so they just shut out. And I don't blame them. Like, I, I understand. I don't do it myself, but I understand. It's like, screw this. I'm just not playing this game. I'm not doing any of this. Um, the thing is, you need both men and women in society to succeed to have a stable mm-hmm. environment, right? Mm-hmm. For example, what we're seeing right now is that in China, there are 40 million leftover men who don't have don't have a wife and won't have a wife. So what happens then? Okay, so they work and then some of them are successful. They find a wife who's younger than them. And now we have the spillover right now where then it gets worse and worse and worse and worse for younger men who are now competing both against themselves in their age bracket and against men who are doing better now i didn't come up with this but uh women by socio like like in society date across and up a hierarchy just how it is they hate me for it that's just what it is men tend to date across and down um what we're seeing right now is more women are going to college more women are doing better financially women are doing better than men financially for the same job um so what That's are we saying? That the uh, women's studies will not like, but yeah. <laughs> sure, I mean, but it is it is what it is, and the thing is, these have real mm-hmm. life implications. They mm-hmm. do. So what happens? Okay, so women are doing better than men, which which is fine. But now you've got all of a sudden, if men date tend to create across, down, and across. The thing is, women want to date across and up. But when you are on average doing better than the men, which is fine, um, you have an even more increasing distribution of people that. Either someone has to lower their standards, which is going to have to be women, or people are going to be increasingly unhappy and not find a spouse. That's what's going to happen. And then we're going to see, like, people aren't getting married. People aren't having kids. Um, that's not a good thing. Like, people are having less sex now than they did in the 60s. You know, it's interesting is that you bringing up that topic is that one of the things that has been kind of a concern on my mind of – uh, as of the last 10 years has been seeing so many single men and a lot of them it's for that reason is that they like the striving of wanting to do better and also like cultivate a life for a future spouse that dream has kind of been gone from the american yeah, dream I mean, is dead it's crazy i think so i think the american dream is dead i think that boomers have doubled their wealth since 2016 this generation has never been poorer with worse prospects. Um, you're not able to buy a house. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you go to college, you won't have a job. The so barrier to entry is so much higher too. So exactly, there's only so much longer the system can continuously fuck over people at the bottom before things mm-hmm. get really bad. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying like I'm just saying that like young people aren't going to have jobs. Okay, where are they going to work? How are they going to feed their kids? How are they going to pay their taxes? How are they going to pay for like social security? <laughs> it's going to break. It's going to collapse. And the question mm-hmm. is when. Right. Yeah. So, do you have do you have any hope? Because I know that whenever I generally look at the outlook and everything, I'm very hopeful for my individual relationships and the people that I bring around me. Okay. But I'm not so much like I'm very pessimistic. I guess I would consider it realistic. But a lot of my friends particularly liberals consider myself pessimistic about how our, you know, not only our economy, the same way. culture and everything else. And it, it so. isn't, isn't people like, Oh, I'm sad that Trump lost. And yeah. I'm not that way. Yeah, no. It's that I, it was, gonna, it, was, it, was it is what it is guys. Yeah. What, it, what the situation is like, even before when Trump was president, I was like, Hey guys, situation culturally is descending very quickly. 
mm-hmm. I'm seeing a lot of issues like people aren't going to religious communities anymore. I said this before, but 25% of millennials say they don't have any friends. This is just getting mm-hmm. worse. Um, it's not sustainable. You can't, and this is a little bit different. I don't think you could have a society that has fundamentally two different values and two different realities. Mm-hmm. No, you're 100% right. And like this kind of goes back to the whole, you know, Jordan Peterson, you know, so we talked about a little bit about Bob Hamps, you know, we have your circumstances, your thoughts, feelings, behaviors, you then your beliefs and your identity. The way that Jordan Peterson talks about it is in terms of, um, you know, you have this perception and how you see the world, but what underlies it is an ethic, but that ethic also has a way in which it's derived, which is also an axiom. And so whenever people are relying on the perceptions to determine what they're seeing, which can't be trusted, we know that. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever people are relying on the perceptions and what they see in the intake and all of the senses, like everything that they're stimulating their senses, and whenever they're using that instead of a guiding moral principle mm-hmm. or something else to guide their life, they cannot see clearly. And so you're seeing the polarization of this, and it's more the, you know, the demoralization of people not you know, not being able to have a relationship of truth. Tate and I actually had a podcast on this. It's called Veritum. So um, uh, the Veritum actually means it's a relationship with truth, and it actually means valued and cherished, but also feared and uh, what was it? It was, it was feared and dreaded. I don't know. Feared and dreaded. Yes. So I thought that was particularly interesting because you can actually see it and you can almost like slice it with a knife like right down the middle like with our culture yeah and so do you think that there's any any possibility of reuniting these two different americas or do you think it is going to implode on itself yeah i don't would like there to be a solution here i don't see it Mm -hmm. i don't i don't see i think you could verifiably say that both sides hate each other i think the left hates the right more than the right hates the left Mm-hmm. Um, I now don't... you start to see like you know QAnon and everyone else like even some of my you know Christian friends and whatnot that have grown up they're like falling for these conspiracy theories just because they've and I think lost you make that's all... that's something that's so interesting to me yeah. where I've been trying to tell people it's like QAnon is this deranged conspiracy theory mm-hmm. why mm-hmm. did it blow up well it blew <laughs> up it blew up I think it was it was doing, it was it was growing a lot but it blew up specifically because of the lockdowns because people weren't going to church more going to communities people want to feel and this is an eight that at the end everything be all right that there is a higher being now whether it is god or some people think it's this QAnon conspiracy um that things will get better at the end of the day and you're breaking up there Kyle, i have a friend yeah, i'm breaking up i think up okay bit, yeah. hold up Whoa. i think you guys keep on am i are we back due to internet quality i think it's you guys i don't think it's me Oh, we're good now. Might be. Okay. We we can we can hear you now. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so, back to, yeah, that's fine. I have a friend. Her mom is into QAnon. Her dad is not. The mom kept on saying, "You'll wait and see. Tomorrow, everything will be coming. The indictments." And it didn't happen. And now she's losing her mind. Mm-hmm. QAnon essentially is a cult religion that is replacing church. People want to feel that at the end of the day, everything will be all right. And we can mock and mimic this this conspiracy theory, which I understand people are doing. But mm-hmm. these are people, and you want to realize why they got there. They got there because 
a lot of them are so downtrodden. A lot of them have been just just pushed out by the system, forgotten. They're doing terrible economically. We saw a lot of the people. There was like a former Olympian swimmer who did terribly um, economically. I mean, I don't know what he had. It was a swimmer. And then he stormed the Capitol after he just went crazy um, that all of a sudden he lost his job. And then Trump, you know, I think Trump, he, he like got his job back. Everything was fine. And then the lockdowns hit again. So essentially... QAnon is a replacement for religion, and it comes in the form of a conspiracy cult because at the end of the day, people want to feel that someone is looking out for them, that something will be all right at the end. And we can dismiss this as a joke, funny, like it's like laughable sometimes, I agree. Um, Like I thought it was funny up until like I saw some of our friends' Facebook posts, you know, posting predictions about, you know, Biden's inauguration. And I was, I literally just said, stop, you're making conservatives, like, you're giving, you're literally what give conservatives a bad rap, like, please get your, you know, they're like, you don't even know. I'm just like. That's the thing, people like to feel that only they and them understand the truth of a situation, and they somehow will be able to, to determine and sort of dilute um, what the outcome will be, that they are part of this secret society that is, you know, throwing Nancy Pelosi, in, that will be throwing Nancy Pelosi in jail after these indictments come out, that she's got to, you know. There's a ring that like it's it's crazy, but why is it blowing up all of a sudden that I think people have completely just blown over? And I think the reason is because of the collapse of communities and the descent of the church um, and the collapse of the family structure and the collapse of the economy and the collapse of job prospects that people want to feel that there is a higher power, that everything will be all right. And that came in the form of a conspiracy theory. Do you think that, um, I mean, I personally, like not only on the podcast, but also like with some of my friends have criticized Trump for, um, you know, I mean, I don't like he has every legal right to challenge the results of an election. Sure. And in fact, whenever I'm being frankly honest, whenever I look at a lot of the irregularities, I think that it's very possible that some things could have been manipulated and whatnot. Okay. I don't, however, like, Whenever the whenever the electors put their vote in, I knew for a fact that Biden was going to be sworn into office. But you know, then Trump, you know, just kind of continues on Twitter down this path. Yeah, there was no. I don't. I don't really think the election was stolen. I'm willing to be open when I presented evidence. Right. There have been 17 goddamn krakens that have been announced. <laughs> and none of them have materialized. I'm waiting for. The, I'm waiting. Yeah. Give me the first kraken. Like there's one hasn't materialized. So what right. it comes down is to this. Trump should not have done this with an end game in sight. There was no end game. The end game is what? Right. What was the end game? We're going to storm the Capitol, and then what? And then what? I didn't try, I don't think Trump told people to storm the Capitol, but the people storming. The, what's the end goal then? Are you are you putting up a new a new uh, government? Okay, well people can just senators can just telecommute on Zoom. So like the Capitol <laughs> isn't really a thing. And like when they got in there, they essentially just like took selfies, right? But this yeah. wasn't really a, on like, social media. Yeah, like, yeah, like there was no end. And I think what we're going to see in the next few months is a sort of – everyone always thought that Trump was untouchable that he, and he still has a huge fan base, huge, because he still has a huge staying power against Republicans. Um, what we're going to see is that every after every Republican president, uh, people eventually start criticizing. And I think that's coming out of the now months where people looked at this and said, hey, culturally, are conservatives better off now with how 
um, energized and out for and out for really, I mean, revenge, the left is for conservatives. The answer really is no. Like, had Hillary Clinton been president, I don't think we would see this much hatred from the left that they're willing to basically militarize their power mm-hmm. to censor, to suppress, to exile conservatives in college campuses, academia, and in the job market, and corporate. Like, we're not going to see that. So, you know, what the media right now and the establishment Democrat is going to do is basically say this guy can never happen again and they're going to do everything in their power to just ram their fist um, and make sure that doesn't become a reality again. And the next conservative is going to be Trump without Trump. He is going to be you know, a populist conservative, but he's actually mm-hmm. going to be a statesman who knows how to wield power rather than tweet. I think the biggest flaw for the Trump administration was that the second Trump came into office, and I think beforehand a little bit too, he cared about media approval. You cannot be a conservative and care about media approval because they will always hate you. You can try to be a Bill Crystal. That's fine. You won't be a conservative, and even when you say something conservative, they'll hate you. So you'll end up doing nothing. Like there's a real thing about people wanting to be invited back to cocktail parties in Georgetown. These are your friends. So when you're all of a sudden, if you realize if I tweet this conservative thing out, my friends will stop inviting me, and they won't like me as much. And my friends are on the left. You stop saying these things. And Trump really cared about media approval. Trump could have, I think, for the for these four years while he was president, built up conservative media alternatives. He didn't. He didn't do an interview with 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 uh, with OAN, which is you know a rising competitor. Um, he didn't build up conservative media that he could have had taken it. He could have built up huge competitors, um, but he did CNN, NBC, did those interviews. He didn't really you know build it out. He didn't build up other social media platforms. Like since yeah. day one, he's like Twitter is going to censor me, right? They're going to. Well, he's like someone should do something about it. You're the president. You're the someone who should do something about it. Like tw- yeah. Twitter is going to ban me one day. Great. What's the alternative? Build an alternative. Build a parlor. Yeah. Like he should have been on parlor years ago. Honestly, he should have been tweeting yeah. on parlor years ago. And we're going to see a reckoning of, um, for example, we had four years to get, you know, what, what did we get done this year? I, I get the coronavirus like tech ranked, like just deck the economy. I get that. We had four years to get the policy promises done. And I know he's banking on a second term, but we had four years to get it done. And essentially, um, I kind of get how people who are doing terribly, who were promised a wall, just said, hey, we promised us this wall. It's not there. Um, And when we're going into, I think, um, the coronavirus response, which I think is important, Mm -hmm. I always thought that – Trump could have used this as a play for at least televised unity. Now, whether the media would take it or not, he could have essentially been like, listen, guys, it's bad. We're going to get through this. And that could have been the message. Mm -hmm. And the second thing that I think there were two things, there was one thing that I think really um, tanked the campaign and tanked the prospects is the $2,000 checks. Trump all of a sudden when they were in negotiations, like if they don't pass, it's on me. Why? Why would you say that? Like there's, there's no reason at all. Right. If he had gotten those checks passed, he would have won. And people say, well, Carl, you're advocating for socialism and the government giving up money. Like, well, okay. There's a difference in this case 
Because in this case, the government came with a gun and forced you to close down your business and fire all your employees and that you couldn't work. So in my opinion, I have no issue with the government giving out money when they forced me not to work. It wasn't, if you don't want to have to work, you don't have to, sweetie. If you want to stay home, you can. It was, no, your business is going to be shut down for we don't know as many months. Deal with it. Yeah. And you had an excellent podcast just kind of going in all of those things. Um, it was your, I think it was your first one where you were your first or your second one where you actually interviewed that guy um, in California who had the gym and mm-hmm. just kind of like, yes, yeah. battles and everything. That, that was a fun on. one. He's great. Yeah. Ian yeah, Smith, owner of Attila's gym. He basically said, screw all this. I'm going to mm-hmm. open my gym. If people want to come, they can. If you don't want to come to, you don't have to. Yeah. But which is the way that it should work. Adults should be, be able to decide what they want to do like i don't understand why this becomes like this became such a crazy idea that if adults (laughs) want to go to a gym they should be allowed to what's the opening date is the opening date june of 2022 i'm not okay with that the american people aren't okay with that and this comes back to you know elites and the media feeling like they're doing good by telling people to stay inside where it's like the easy decision from government officials is to just lock everything down and say we did everything the hard decision like DeSantis Christie Nome is like hey let's weigh this because there are ramifications of shutting down the entire economy mm-hmm. no shit those ramifications oh. are people don't have jobs people go hungry homeless lines get longer suicide rates goes up anxiety and depression go up domestic abuse goes up it's like hey maybe we should be a little bit more you know maybe we should weigh this that and is. that's a tough decision because for nonstop, the media hammered Governor Ron DeSantis. Ended up being a meme. Whenever uh, Governor uh, you know Cuomo of New York made something wrong, we would we would all be like, "How could Governor DeSantis <laughs> do this?" Because that was the media angle. Um, but these are the tough decisions that our politicians have to make. And, and Florida and South Dakota are doing fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, even like with the. The, the culture moving forward. It's just going to be so strange over the next four years of, again, just people having to make decisions. Do people feel like they're empowered to even make decisions at this moment? And so I think, um, I don't know, is there like any encouraging way that you're seeing and you even see like kids our age, kind of how would you encourage them to make steps moving forward in the next couple of months, whether they're kids that are have ideas for business or even just again want to do life with friends again and big i mean how would you how would you encourage him in that so this is something that i told myself and i didn't follow through on it but i wish i had it's like listen buddy you got a year you got a year that you're inside and you're not doing anything okay read create build read 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 it's like well books suck I, I get it listen to a podcast but use this to grow and not play like overwatch um this is you got a year man you got a year plus to build this and at the end of the day employers or whatever maybe are going to look back and be like it's fine he didn't do anything during this year you got a year to actually like you have been given a one year vacation buddy if you're a kid if you're a kid who doesn't have to work You've been given a one-year vacation, dude, where you're inside. And let's be honest, if you're in high school, middle school, those Zoom classes aren't really classes. Okay? Nobody's going to fault you for that. Just read. Just be productive. And it's like, it's so easy to squander this. You have been graced with a one-year-long summer vacation that you just can't go outside legally. In some places, you can't go outside legally. Um, Use this, man. Dude, I love that. 
I love that a lot. Again, creating cult and cultivating, uh, again, imagination, creativity, and even like a drive just to learn something, just to do something, even if yes. it's a simple thing or learning about something that you, yeah. Learn what you guys are doing. It's you guys are yeah. building a podcast. You guys are building a brand. You guys are building a company that helps create websites for other people. Um, anyone can start a podcast. Mm-hmm. Anyone. Yeah. And it's free. Oh, another than the microphone. I mean, you could literally I mean, just you, use You can use a, yeah. your phone. Listen, man, yeah. if you've got a phone, you have no – if you've got a phone and internet, you've got everything you need. It, mm-hmm. Even not for the listeners. Yeah, just right. do it just for the aspect of trying and growing. Learn learn how to talk about certain aspects of life. Learn how to articulate and use those. It's like speech and debate class. Dude, I've realized this where it's like talking yeah. to people yeah. is a skill and continuing oh, yeah. a conversation is a mm-hmm. valuable one where – there are certain people where, like, I used to work for 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 Dave Rubin, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, he goes in, he asks questions, and it's you know, they're good questions, but it can't be that hard. I started interviewing people; it's difficult. It's difficult oh, yeah. to continue a conversation and to continue a conversation that provides value, where anyone can talk about you know sports or just basic instances in our society. It's how do you actually, and now it's online, so it's a lot harder. How do you pull out? these interesting truths from people mm. that otherwise they wouldn't say. And then how do you actually create um, these instances where people will have these conversations? And, and what I mean by that is like, you could bring on a guest and talk about tax brackets with them or talk about, you know, but how do you actually get to the bottom of things where like they really want to say that really interests them? That's what it like being an interview like that. Like that's what Joe Rogan does. Mm-hmm. Um, he manages to get out conversations otherwise people wouldn't talk about that's what makes him so great well for three hours you don't realize it's what i've heard from friends you don't realize that um the conversation's gone through and he manages to get he asks like really Mm -hmm. pointed questions and that's a skill yeah absolutely um yeah so like what kind of books actually do you have like recommendations or anything um in that respect or like in terms of yeah like any like top three books yeah okay um, I mean, this is, I think the first one is Peterson's 12 Rules for Life, mm-hmm. in that essentially, basically, it is the foundation for what it takes to succeed. It's, I was gifted to me by a friend. Yeah, it's a great go. book. It really is. Um, what are the other two? I've got one that I'm reading by Robbie So, which is a friend of mine who talks about the college campus situation. Mm-hmm. Um, those are my top two right now. I've got a bunch of books about, you know, like policing in America. Um, healthcare that i'm reading through right now i like everyone's like everyone's like well i have the top three books that are change your life no this really it's books that you mm-hmm. enjoy because mm-hmm. at the end of the day if it's fiction or non-fiction the goal is just being a good writer and speaker and just bringing in information it doesn't have to be non-fiction it can be fiction the situation is just to read um because once you read more your writing gets better uh you know, we were always taught in school that it was like five paragraphs, introduction, three middle paragraphs, and then a conclusion. Mm-hmm. Each sentence had like seven seven words. That's terrible. <laughs> like it's a first, secondly, thirdly, and conclusion. I want to jump out of a window if when I read a page like that. Like when I when I was in high school and like we had to like, you know, you know, like read other people's papers and they had like firstly, secondly, thirdly. I was like, What is this? <laughs> what is this? Um yep. just being a better writer. Um and just having fun with it. But yeah, I mean like you don't even have to read books really. You don't. 
uh, it can be a podcast, it can be a YouTube video. Like we don't realize the capacities for what's in front of us. And it's always like, ever been on a road trip and a lot of the times you spend your time, you're wasting time for like 75% of the trip. And then on the way back, you're like, damn, I wish I had actually like been more present and actually mm-hmm. done more things and use this time. And we see this a lot. And this is the same thing, man. You're on your phone. You're on YouTube. YouTube is a library of everything you want to learn in the world. All you got to do is like click a few buttons, type them in, and watch. You don't even have to really read. It's just thrown in your face. Mm-hmm. And it's free. And not only is it free, is it like gives you like step-to-step things like how to do it. So like literally, it's not even like you're trying to figure yeah. out like an instruction book and you have you being confused. Like then you you it's your turn. You go out and go do it. I have a, I have a, I have a friend who's a YouTuber who's who's got around like nine hundred thousand subs. He uh, dropped out of college in the second year in film school, and he's mm-hmm. like, screw this, I don't need this. Um, he does great. He makes phenomenal videos, uh, and he learned everything online. And like you hear this a lot. Where it's like, all right, we get it, dude. Like, just watch videos online, and I get it. Um, we are seeing now, forever, um, higher education is being replaced by YouTube. Yeah, we were talking about really? that not too long ago. Yeah, all of my math classes, I didn't learn anything sitting in school. Like, I completely just like blanked out. Everything that I mm-hmm. learned was on like Khan Academy and you know YouTube. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. I'm curious, like, so who are some of your favorite people that you've brushed shoulders with being in DC? It's like, uh, I don't know that I saw, you saw that you got to meet, um, uh, Kirk, Charlie. Yeah. Charlie sure. Kirk. Um, yeah. yeah. I used to work. I mean, just like, I'm just curious, like who, who are um, some of the people that you really love brushing shoulder shoulders with and also kind of had like built inspiration from and people that you admire in that area? The one person that really rises to the top. I've met a lot of cool people. The one person who really rises to the top is Jordan Peterson. Like that's mm-hmm. that's it. Um, yeah. I used to watch his videos a lot. Now I don't really. Um, I still like really really like admire the guy a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, he really built up millions of young men and gave them a pathway as like a YouTube an internet mm-hmm. father figure, which is which he was. And I got to meet him. I got to talk to him. I uh, remember presenting him a question about what he was pro-life or pro-choice. And he said, no, 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 no. Like, that's not mm-hmm. a question. It's by the time someone has an abortion, he's like, obviously, it's a moral ill. By the time someone has got an abortion, so many things have gone wrong to lead someone to that place. How do we fix that? And it's mm-hmm. that type of thinking where that's what happened with me in Parkland, really. It was like by the time someone went to the situation where they – where this tragedy happened and they decided to commit this atrocity, what happened wrong, right? Uh, and that was just really, I like, I just really like that. Yeah, to him. He was, yeah, he absolutely. was a guy that I always found that not just knew how to answer questions, but knew when questions that were not, that, that really didn't have a value to be answered because they weren't solving a problem or not even like solving a problem, but like they weren't, addressing the roots of things it's so like that's one of the things that intrigued me about him is he he would be like wait a second that's not actually what's causing um whether that's illnesses or whether that's with um again even just the internal struggles that he was talking about with young men and even like building up is like and nobody yeah. else was saying it yeah nobody else was talking and still very few are talking about the hardships mm-hmm. of young men 
And you're going to say, Kyle, well, you know, they'll, they'll deal with it. Well, no, because these issues spill over and they materialize into real hardships yeah. in life. Where depression rates, anxiety rates are young, young men and women. And support system collapsing around young men. Mm-hmm. And father figures being out of the picture. You need both parents for your kid. That's that is the greatest indicator for childhood success. Is a both it's a stable two parent household. It is, and when you take that away, when, when young men don't have father figures, mm-hmm. they drift. Mm-hmm. And you could say, well, Kyle, okay, so what? Men aren't doing well, so they're not making money. No, that impacts that impacts women too, because now women have spouses that they aren't interested in. That it hurts them too. Like women should want men to be financially successful because they, they want to date someone who's financially successful. And when men aren't doing well, then their lives are also impacted. Yeah. And like right now what you see is particularly with the culture, it's creating very, very weak men. And you know, a lot of I don't men, blame them though. Yeah. It's like but they mistake yeah. the weakness for virtue, which is also one of the things that Jordan Peterson talks about. It's like, no, you know, a I, a weak I, man or like mm-hmm. uh a a good man is a very dangerous man i think it's right. one of jordan Peterson's right. quote who has it under voluntary control is like weak men will be the downfall has been the downfall of like pretty much every civilization and you know if if these men if if i mean you know some would say it's sexist i say it's not it's just truth is like if men don't in some way hold down the culture don't hold down the household and stand up for you know their their biblical role if you will then you're going to go like down this pathway where you know men will become weak and society will collapse because we've lost Mm -hmm. an identity we've lost sense of truth like we've lost reality so yeah i think you summed it up pretty well and and i I look at the situation with young men right now and i can't blame them for Mm -hmm. being angry at the Mm -hmm. world Mm -hmm. like can you really yeah, where like and every I, reason to yeah yeah and I, and I also can't really blame them i think i don't think it's the smart healthy path i can't blame them for being like screw this i'm just pulling back i'm just going my own way mm-hmm. and i don't think that's the end term mm-hmm. beneficial way long term but i can kind of get it where that's the emotional visceral reaction to what's going on mm-hmm. around you and yeah. when you witness your parents divorce what is it, like 70 percent, or what is it 50 50 70 percent of marriages yeah, in it's, divorce? it's getting crazy oh, right now see let me search it up. Let me search it up. Yeah. yeah, that's. Let me search it up. I want to get the number right. It is, um. Fifty percent of all marriages in the United States end in divorce, and when you see that amount of numbers, you're like, well, "Why even get married?" Fifty percent. Um, I'm gonna lose custody of my kids. My life's gonna be, you know, to be hurt. Mm-hmm. I'm just not gonna play the game. Um, and I get that perspective. I don't think it's it's good for the long term. But we need to realize the core root um, of these problems. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like how you, with the whole Parkland massacre and everything, um, you very easily could have had a very visceral reaction to it, and sure. you could have been like in like you could have allowed the emotions and the feelings mm-hmm. and everything else that you initially felt to take you but you didn't and you instead decided to step back um which i mean people don't realize and i don't really whine about this a lot people don't realize how tough a decision that really was Mm -hmm. where you know your community now 
hates you and they think um, you're terrible for saying that guns aren't the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you're the scapegoat. Yeah. Yeah, and then people don't realize or it's like when you get something passed, it's you know delegitimized. It's like I this bill got passed because I annoyed every single legislator and I met with them and I yelled at Fox. Like I yelled, I went on TV and I was like, "This is the solution." This I was like, "I don't care about the gun debate. I don't care about the gun debate. This is the solution. Let's <laughs> get it passed." meeting and meeting and meeting and nobody really was there to like hold my hand or whatnot and you know not even that it's like not even no recognition which is fine i don't really care i really don't care um it's you get viscerally hated by your community because they view you as the enemy it's like guys yeah are now safer two two billion dollars safer because of this bill that you guys didn't like um but it is what it is. I mean, I'm happy. The, I'm very happy the bill got passed. And I think that yeah. I think kids need to hear that. Not even just kids. I think almost any adult needs to hear that you cannot rely on the outside world to validate you and their opinions in that way. And I'm not saying it's like ignore them, but I'm just saying is that truly is that sometimes right. people don't know what's going on underneath, and to have that, yeah. the adults mm-hmm. aren't that smart. I mean. <laughs> The adults, a lot of times, are the children in the room. In Congress, the adults in the room are children. Yes. And, like, I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, it's shame on you adults for acting like kids. It's like, sometimes, the people around us, the people who we think are the experts, don't know Mm -hmm. anything. And Mm -hmm. I've seen this. It's like, sometimes people in green rooms, you, you see commentators go on. A lot of times, they're on Wikipedia and they're reading the top three paragraphs. Like They don't know anything about Abu Ghraib. Okay? And they just search it up and they talk. And like, these these are the experts. The experts told us that masks don't work. And now the experts told us that the masks work. And now they told us that lockdowns work. Now lockdowns don't work. Mm. These people, these experts aren't experts. The experts aren't experts. They're just the ones that talk first. Yep. Yeah. They have a lot of choice. I mean, that's also true, just to add there, that was really interesting, where you said they talked the loudest. All it takes to shift a society's perspective is 10% who truly are energized and mm-hmm. believe in what they say, and the 90% will cave. So you don't even need 50% of the population right. to move things. You just need 10%. And we're seeing this with kind of like really progressive student activists. Mm-hmm. All you need is 10% of the, of, of, you know, the population, and mm-hmm. you're moving everything. Yeah. So what are some of those things that actually kind of helped you not – cave to that mentality like were there certain relationships that you had like maybe yeah i got bullied a lot as a kid i got bullied a lot as a kid yeah (laughs) where i uh i got bullied a lot i was really short and then i just developed just a kind of like i never then never really care what people Mm. said about me um that helped a lot anti-fragile again there's something about again not just thick skin and just like where it keeps everything out but what it does is it again it you can hold not just rely on anybody else to hold you up is that you actually have some thick skin to be able to hold yourself up in any situation exactly so that's that's peterson has a role as like be be the strongest person Mm -hmm. at your father's funeral Mm -hmm. right be the shoulder to cry on be the person where people turn to for guidance Mm -hmm. when hardship hits for peace 
It's because, like, whenever shit hits the fan, you can't do anything about it. You have to deal with it. Like, you know, with the right. massacre, there, you, there's no bringing those people you can back sit to life. Yeah. In your room and mm-hmm. cry about it. Yeah. And play World of Tanks. <laughs> or you could go out and do something. And it's not going to be easy. You're going to get a lot of criticism for it. But these are your two paths. Mm-hmm. And you get to pick. Um, and a lot of kids were conservative at douglas chose to play world of tanks which is fine it's a fun game occasionally when i go home i'll play it again um Mm -hmm. those -hmm. are your two options and i understand some kids put their head down but i felt a moral obligation because not only did i think that the stop school violence act and fix nicks and you know banning guns for example like those are the solution like banning guns is not the solution fix nicks Stop School Violence Act is the solution. But not only did I think that gun control was was not going to do anything, it was actually bad. Like It was going to hurt innocent people mm-hmm. and change the landscape. And I was a moral – and forget about the gun stuff. It, I felt like it was a moral obligation to go out and make sure that these school shootings didn't happen again. right? And it's like if you know that this is the solution, if you can clear-eyed look through everything and say this is what needs to get done and not do it, I, hmm. it's a decision but I said listen this is what I gotta get done um, and just went for it yep and you embraced all of the shit that got thrown at you and you have come out and you've actually sure now started to um, you know you know, I think did you get like mentored by Dave Rubin or just work for him and like, slightly yeah I mean I yeah. he was, he's a very good friend of mine yeah, yeah I mean there were a lot of people who kind of helped me along my way yeah. And, you know, when I had a lot of questions, I always ask questions. Mm. I think people who were in the beginning knew me. I always cast questions. I always ask questions about guns, about school safety, about this policy and that policy. What about this? What about the 1994 gun ban? What about this amendment? Um, what about this one? What about, you know, the rule that, you know, the CDC can't, um, you know, do any gun research? Why is this? Mm. Why is that? Mm. got to learn. And I just right. open-minded, and I said, "Screw it! I'm gonna listen to people um, and learn." And so no, that's what kind of um, again you you caught our eye with that. Not just because of it. I honestly haven't seen any of your public announcements or anything, but I've been kind of like hearing the background of what sure. you've been up to, and I've just been like, "Yeah, he's a guy that we could uh, that I would look up to, and again, count as a peer that I would love to even just have for conversations like this." And so. It's, one of the reasons why we reached out is that again we we want to accommodate for again your mentality and just say thank you for that. So yeah, yeah. of course, man. Yeah. So what are some of the things that you really quickly before because um, I think you have to go? But what are some of the yeah. things that you're working on building? Like, what's kind of the goal for you at this point? Yeah, there are two things right now. It's my show, the Kyle Kashu show that I just launched. Mm-hmm. First guest is Dave Rubin. Second is Senator Marsha Blackburn, which was great. Um, I'm trying to build basically an independent channel where I talk about whatever I like and have these conversations with interesting people that I think are no longer Mm. happening. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is, is I'm building basically a community. Yeah, you reached out to me, Sam, on call.onlocals.com. So the Mm -hmm. website is kashuv.com or kylekashuv.locals.com. And it's basically where I can talk about the show and build it. Because we're seeing right now the threats and the imminent um, 
exile of conservatives and the occurring exile of conservatives on social media. Mm. And we could whine about it or mm-hmm. we can build alternatives. And even when we do build alternatives like Parler, they get banned. It is what it is. We're going to fight that in the courts and legally, but it's a solution. And I, I was, I was kind of hesitant at first because I was like, Oh, it's like, it's another you know, it's like a, like a small community with only people who agree with me. And that's not been the case so far. Um, people post really interesting things and it's really developed into a kind of a healthy, sane uh, community where, you know, people can disagree, people don't, but social media has been a really interesting experiment. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's oh, you got that right. Uh, I'll do both. I'll do Twitter and I'll do locals. But yeah, if anyone wants yeah. to check out the show, it's just Kyle Kashuf show. And if anyone wants to support the work I do, that's how yep. Sam reached out to me. It's on uh, kashuf.com. Yep. And then also in the future, you know, being a more public figure, not only with locals, but what is kind of the best way for people to, you know, walk alongside you in this kind of, you know, I mean, I, I would almost say stoic, but maybe not stoic, but like this kind of like, you know, dismissal sure. of everything that the world is throwing at you and kind of standing strong um, in our values and our morals and, you know, and in truth. So how would we best a great way to say it. like walk along? Right? I think Twitter or Instagram at Kyle Kashuv, um, or on locals, mm-hmm. uh, Kashuv.com. Those are really the best places mm-hmm. to get to me. But we're going to see in the next couple of years, at least the next four years, uh, a really interesting uh, social change. And I don't really know how it ends up, but there's going to be a lot of movements with corporations, with Beck Tech. And I think in the next four years, I think we're going to emerge in a totally uh, different world that mm-hmm. we're going to be desensitized to. Right now, we're starting to be desensitized to it, to the social media platformings to you know the weird unionization and militarization of social media and corporations and the democrat party to create a very powerful consolidation mm-hmm. and we're merging into an you know a new u.s cultural dominant sustained power that i think is the i think the establishment right now is more powerful mm-hmm. than it's ever been oh, yeah and we'll have to see what happens in the next four years well have you been paying attention to china recently like while yeah. all of this kebab is going on with the Capitol and mm-hmm. Trump yelling about the impeachment and everything, it's like there's like, you know, back alley deals going down worldwide yeah. and the United States is like left out of most of them. They're, uh, you know, they just annexed Hong Kong where they're not supposed to do that till 2036. They're, they had a mock attack and are posturing against Taiwan. In fact, one of my good friends from college who's actually in Taiwan right now is very concerned about the prospect that they actually might be invaded you know and they were actually like in the south china morning post they said that they would wait until a biden presidency to do it because they knew that trump wouldn't do it well biden's not gonna do anything about it so this is the world we live in now so yeah it's like right now xi jinping is the most powerful man in the world Mm -hmm. whether you like it or not and what his agenda has been doing they've been giving out like i think over 150 countries they've bailed out with covid relief and and trade for you know political insiders. Oh, they're, yeah. they're crushing for, it. Oh yeah, they so, are. They're it's doing like, a phenomenal you know, job, and yeah, yeah. China's on the rise, and the U.S. is collapsing, and we have Joe Biden as president. So you know, this is this is the man we want to lead against 
China. This this <laughs> is the man. <laughs> the guy who had uh, who had some dirty deals with Hunter Biden in the CEFC. So. Yeah. We're emerging into a new uh, reality the next four years. Yep. Something that I don't think we will have seen or something that is going to be very easily defined as Orwellian, but something that we are quickly going to be desensitized to. And everyone thinks America is special in some part they're right. But everyone can mm-hmm. descend into chaos and everyone can descend into state, uh, mm-hmm. you know, total control totalitarianism. And we'll see yeah. well, what happens. We I just quoted a quote earlier today that I thought was hilarious is that um, according to history, we forget history. And so it's just so interesting is that we see it doesn't matter what country has come up. It's no, no, water, no water mm-hmm. country has come up. It's They've all fallen, except there's like a very few that the yeah. remnants are still left behind. And Israel is one of them still that again, mm-hmm. that's I'm my eyes are always on Israel just because they've always fascinated me. And again, I'm a believer and it's they're. You know, all my eyes are always on them, but still, it's an interesting world that we live in. And again, we're very thankful for yeah. you coming along and sharing your thoughts. And of course, um, again, mm-hmm. well, we'll hope here me. in the future, you'll probably yeah. be hearing from us just whether it's like thoughts of things that are going on. And so we'll see. Yeah. Yep. Really quickly, all last right, question Have you ever had Whataburger? <laughs> I think I have, but I don't think it was as good as I expected. And the gotcha. same thing with In and Out. Yeah. I think In-N-Out's a little bit better than Whataburger. I'm not really, you know, uh, very determined about both or have a strong opinion. It's just that I think the 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 hype and the overhyping ends up being uh, yep. its downfall. Oh, yeah. You got that right. right. So that's my opinion. All right. Well, well, do you have any wise words um, before we uh, before we end this recording? Yes, buy Amazon. <laughs> yeah, no joke. No. <laughs> kidding. You you have two options, people. I was I've been thinking about this a lot. And I yep. gotta run. Um, you have two options, society. Yes, yes, society is corrupt, and yes, you're going to jail, uh, and yes, your life isn't gonna be as great, and yes, yes, it's hard out there, and yes, the the future economic circumstances for you are very dire, and the marriage market is is it's not great. And taxes are not great, and things are bad. But listen, you can either be in the system or out of the system. But the system is moving with or without you. So people were just like, "I'm not going to invest in the stock market because Amazon is bad." And you some correct criticism of corporations, and many of them I agree with. But the thing is, the stock markets are going up. They're going up mm-hmm. without you. So and they're going without you. So you have to be in the system. You have to play in the system. You can't fully detach yourself mm-hmm. from it. Mm-hmm. Wise words, my friend. So, thank you for coming right, on the. Right. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. Hopefully, we will have you again in the future. Definitely look forward to it. Definitely look forward to seeing everything that you do. So, of course. All right, boys. Yeah, hey. have a good one. Hey, you too, there, pal. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Rootkit Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard and would like to join us on this venture of unlocking the human source code, please be sure to check out our website at www.therootkitpodcast.com, where you can stay up to date with both our podcast and business. Please consider supporting us by rating us five stars on Apple Podcasts or by visiting us at anchor.fm slash therootkitpodcast. If you already have, thank you. Till next time, I'm Samson Hudson with the Rootkit Podcast.